Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben, and on today's show, it's more off-season action, Cody, so we can do whatever we want. We even need to talk about basketball. I mean, I heard through the grapevine, I heard a little rumor that you saw Barbie. No. Did you see Barbie yet? Mission no, Impossible? Oh how many, the- how many shows Barbie- have you gone to this week? <laughs> Ben, if I had seen Barbie a week early, I would I would have quit everything. I would have made up my life's job just to tell everyone about it. No, it was Mission Impossible that I saw when, yesterday. When you were growing up, did you ever think that in the future you would be recording yourself talking to all, you know, tons of people all over the world, seven or eight people all over the world, and, <laughs> and you would tell them that you're most excited to see Barbie this week? Did you ever think that you would say that sentence? You know... Growing up using my brother's old hand-me-down toys, like I was more of a G.I. Joe type of guy, I I never foresaw it, but I also never knew of the brilliance of Greta Gerwig. No one told me about Ryan Gosling's turn to comedy, Margot Robbie's explosion as a top-tier actress. I I just wouldn't have known those things as a youngster, but that's what happens when we mature, Ben. We learn things about the world, and that's where we are today. How many times have you seen Nice Guys? Uh, probably like once or twice. I That's think I saw it not twice. Enough. I saw that twice. is not enough. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not much of a movie rewatcher. It's like books. Like there's so many that it's impossible to keep up with all of them. That like I just don't go back and revisit things too many times. Do you? Do you revisit things? Oh, if it's rewatchable, I love it. I've I've seen Back to the Future like 90 times. It's uh, it's a good watch. Yeah, But, like, I feel like that's more of a bygone era, Ben, when you would just, like, turn on the TV, like, you can't just stream anything at your fingertips, and you're like, oh, I guess, uh, what's, a, what's a good movie that's always on? Uh, it's like Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring is on for the 700th uh, time. Jurassic TNT? Park is on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. That that just doesn't happen anymore okay. when you don't do that. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But Nice Guys, is if you need a nice stream, it's on a lot of streaming services, that's where I get my uh, Ryan Gosling comedy fix as usual this is not how we started uh planning to start today's show but it doesn't matter because it's the off season we can do whatever we want and i you know speaking of things that you go back to every once in a while i went back to summer league in las vegas last week and i survived i made it i made the trip through the desert it only took 12 hours of driving um but you know was it worth it to to sit a few feet away from Victor Wembanyama and see an actual alien who's claiming to be a human being. He's just walking. He's just doing Men in Black cosplay. Cody, he's like, he's like, look, I'm not a human, but I'm gonna pretend to be one. Um, he certainly has all the uh, the appearances of a person, but when you see him play basketball, it's absolutely extraordinary. So, so that was fun. I I survived that. Um, how, how are you doing? Well, actually, let's let's talk about this more. I want to hear. I want to hear your specific notes from the desert. Notes from the desert. Notes from the desert. So you saw Wembenyama. Did you see him both times he played? Did you see his his first outing? Did you see a second outing when he had 27 points and everyone stopped freaking out for the 48 hours? Like, which one of the Wembys did you see? I I was courtside for the first one. Um, There was, by the way, there were a lot of great players at Summer League this first week. I think the game before that was like Houston's entire starting lineup outside of Jalen Green. Might have been playing. Shen Gun was at the game. I wasn't sure if he was going to suit up just to round out the starting lineup. They played Portland. Portland, you know, you had Scoot, you had Shaden Sharp, you had a ton, ton of players out there, a lot of talent. I got to see Chet Holmgren. So I guess my biggest impression was I hadn't been to Summer League in a few years and 
it was packed and the buzz in the gym early in the day was electric. And every time Wemby got the ball, I mean, people were standing up like it was game seven of the NBA finals when he came out to warm up Cody. It was one of those moments, you know, when you're sitting in the stands and you're like, oh, do we also have to stand up to see anything or is just everyone going to stand up and we're going to stay, say, stay seated. So, um, no, it was, uh, it was, there was a lot of great talent out there. And, um, I guess my, my notes are his movement patterns in person are extraordinary as you would expect. I really wasn't worried about the first game. I don't love his shot. And I think he has a long way to go on offense as I've talked about. And he just, he basically just missed some outside jumpers and might've been a little nervous because he had an incredible spin, long stride dunk attempt and he missed the Mm -hmm. dunk attempt, which I don't remember seeing um, certainly not often, but maybe not even once in France. So, you know, I was not surprised at all by the sort of bounce back offensive game, but I was more struck defensively. And also to the freaking out point, like it's funny being in a gym where 18,000 people are fixated on this guy and there's some groaning and complain. You can hear some people, you know, complaining about it. And he's always going to be a bust. He's overrated only on the offensive plays. But then he does things on defense. And I'm not even sure a fan in attendance can realize like he blocked Brandon Miller's three from 30 feet away. And I don't know if anyone in the arena even reacted. They just like thought it was an air ball. And I'm like, no, that wasn't an air ball. That was a guy with eight feet of space shooting a 30 footer who thought he was totally comfortable. And Wemby is the longest basketball player basically ever. He he redefines the geometry of the court. And that was that was shocking to see in person. And it was also really interesting to see like he's doing these Tim Duncany things that maybe people don't notice in real time as they're watching it. So one thing I always like to think about defensively, especially somebody who's like more lith, who's really tall, did did other players seem to be kind of afraid to attack him in the paint? Did you see some of that rim deterrence already or were they like, oh, I'm going straight at this dude? No, the first game was ugly, but I mean, I think Charlotte had like 25 points in the first half because every time he was out there, they were not going near him in the paint around the basket. But what happens is players still have not timed up or understood his true length outside the paint. So they get him in one-on-one situations and they try to shoot jumpers and he just blocks the jumper. It's just, it's really spectacular. So uh, there was that. The other big news out of Las Vegas, Cody, was the announcement of the NBA Cup. We now have the NBA Cup. It's our first in the season tournament. And I just I just wanted to get your thoughts on it because um, almost everybody I've heard is down on the NBA Cup. They're, they're poo-pooing the NBA Cup. They're, What's the purpose of the NBA Cup? How's it going to work? Who's doing this? And um, I, think, I think you're in that chorus, right? You are not a fan of the NBA's inaugural in-season tournament, their second championship. They're, they will be crowning this season the NBA Cup. I'm actually, I'm interested if we could do like a live poll, like if this were a live show on YouTube or like in front of actual people and this we were is like, a live show. what do you mean? That's true. You're, we're performing for, for your dog. We're performing for, for she here? Barbie posters is, is in front in, of me. Is she in the shot? I, I, don't, I assume she's just always there, like maybe hanging out under your feet or something like that. I feel like dogs are like ubiquitous presence. Like they're just always ready to be listening in. Anyway, if we were to poll the crowd, I wonder who they would think is like more 
more inclined to be a grump on this kind of thing. I wonder if they would think I would be more excited about it or if you would be more excited or who would be more down on it. I I don't know. But yeah, I feel I feel pretty down on this right now. And I think this is one of those things, Ben, where actually let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. What is the purpose of this in-season tournament? Like if you were to ask somebody at the NBA executive level that like decided to do it, what what reason would they give you for coming up with this tournament? Boy, um, can I ask you a question? Oh, absolutely. What What is the reason to be excited about the end season tournament? What What is a reason to be excited about it? Yeah, no. What is the reason? Why Why are you excited about the end season tournament? Oh, the end season. I thought you said in season. No, no, the end turn- of the season. Okay. The one they do at the-, the end of the season. The one they've been doing for decades. I feel like you're talking about like the playoffs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay, so, so like the playoffs historically is where you see like people really ramping up their competition level. We see like the superstars and like the superstar role players really stepping up. We separate the wheat from the chaff, you know, you, and just like you, you make people's, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, their entire reputation is built on these moments that like we have an entire historical archive of like these great moments. You put them on like a, a slideshow because apparently this is 1997. And you just know the moments, right? You know the the steal from Bird. You know the Michael Jordan shots. All of these kinds of things. And I just don't necessarily know if players are going to be coming into this in-season tournament with like that sort of fervor that they've been built up through their entire lives knowing that they need to come into the playoffs like ready to rock and roll. So you don't think that they're going to play hard? Is that the concern? I don't think they're going to take it as seriously as the playoffs, and I don't know how much more seriously than the regular season they're going to take it. Okay. So there is a financial incentive. Do you think that helps? I mean, in terms of like... I'm trying to think of who said it on which podcast. It might have been Zach Lowe was talking about it because like the winning prize is like $500,000. And when we're talking about some players who are further back on the payroll, you're making like however much the minimum is like $500,000 is a significant amount of money. $500,000 is significant for like anybody, but if we're talking like a super max player, right? Somebody that's making like $40 million next year. Are they really going to be that incentivized by the $500,000 bid? I mean, we see like all-star competitions have some kind of money incentive with it. I think it goes to certain charities and stuff like that, but that hasn't necessarily uh, revitalized the dunk contest or things like that. So I don't necessarily know if money is what it is because money isn't the big driver of the playoffs. Money isn't the big driver of the finals. It's the competitive like drive to to elevate yourself to all of the other historical historical greats that have performed so well in the playoffs. And I don't feel like there's that sort of built-in aspect to the in-season tournament. But but hold on, that's a chicken and an egg thing, isn't it? Because there's no in-season tournament. So how can you how can you play up to the precedent of the in-season tournament if you've never had one? Well, it is a chicken and the egg thing, but also the playoffs have been built in since the beginning of the NBA. In like basketball. that's where it all started. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but not, but that's not, not in every sport. 
So, like, whatever sport you've played in, generally at, like, some kind of competitive level, there's always been an end-of-the-season tournament that has always been pushed as the most important part of the season, right? Like, we're building up. It's okay to make mistakes in this regular season because we're going to get to the playoffs, we're going to work out some of the kinks, and boom, we're going to be a championship team. Very rarely, I don't know if anyone, like, I know I haven't had any kind of in-season tournament in the very small competitive life that I had pre-being an adult, and uh, it's just, it, it goes against the idea of like using the regular season to build up to this certain point okay so it sounds like your concern or your lack of excitement is that it feels like competition should be at the end of the road not in the middle or at the beginning and therefore having a having an additional competition at the beginning of the season they call it an in-season tournament they're basically doing it at the beginning of the season having that additional competition because it's not at the end of the season you're saying it doesn't even mean anything. You're not even saying it's like 50% of the playoffs or some degree of the playoffs. You're like, it doesn't sit well with me that there isn't something that you, there's only one way to end the season. And that's with the one season ending tournament and everything else doesn't matter. I feel like placing myself in the in the position of an NBA player, I would probably be like, yeah, this doesn't really matter. I'm going to take it seriously enough to try and win because that's cool and I want to get some money and get everyone on the roster some money. But I'm definitely not going to like go the full 48 and put my entire body on the line where I'm just like, all right, the entire NBA season is a marathon. I still have to make it the rest of the regular season plus the playoffs to compete for the main thing that everyone knows has more historical significance. I guess what's interesting to me is you're kind of making the fan case that nothing matters except the very, very end of the season, which, of course, everyone who listens to this pod knows you and I geek out on most of the year and, and games in November are very exciting. And um, there's there's inherent competition and excitement and intensity when you get matchups at certain points in the season that portend playoff matchups or our rivalries from last year's playoffs that have some history. But it sounds like what you're essentially saying is actually, when you get down to it, none of that really matters. What matters is the very, very, very tippy end of the year uh, I don't know why I threw the word tippy in there, but you know, it's like the very, the very end of the year and that everything else leading up to that doesn't matter. Um, is, isn't that kind of what you're getting at? I wouldn't say doesn't matter. It's like the end of a book, right? Like you read a book and then like everything kind of builds up in each page that you're reading to the ending. Like if you skip all the way and just read the ending, like if you open up of Mice and Men, no spoilers here, and you're like, oh, cool, this sort of thing happens. Like that doesn't really matter to you. But the reason that it matters is you have all these other plots that are building up across all of the characters and the relationships and the symbols and things like that, which is equivalent to the regular season. You and I care so much. Uh, I come at it from the perspective of an English teacher that's like all of these moments matter because they're building towards this eventual climax and falling action and things like that whereas like this in-season tournament it's like we're gonna end it and then there's gonna be another sequel i don't necessarily know it throws off the entire like hero's journey this, vibe oh, that the season okay has. this is this maybe explains why you don't rewatch movies and you throw books away when when you're done with them right because i think to me at least uh and i'm sure i'm sure there's listeners that vibe with both of these approaches like a lot of stories the the journey it's is the thing that the journey is has all the meat in it and sometimes you land at the destination and it's all a means to an end but a lot of times it's the journey and so yes we talk about it all the time playoff basketball is different it's more competitive that's what makes it great but 
it's given that competition by the players. The players are the one who deem it important. It's not, even rings and championships did not have the same cultural significance in basketball 30 or 40 years ago. This is something that has developed over the decades that has become more and more important. And I'm not trying to minimize that. Certainly we talk about winning championships all the time, but if the players want to win the in-season tournament, they have to try harder. They have to compete. And the more you want to win and the more you compete, the more you create a competitive ground for intense basketball. College basketball has early season tournaments or quote-unquote preseason tournaments, and they're awesome. The difference with college basketball is that a lot of times it's like freshmen or you've had like 10 practices or things like that. But these are NBA teams. These are pros. These are the best players in the world, there's a financial incentive and there's a bragging rights incentive. And more than that, it's whatever they want to make it. So if the players don't take it seriously and the Detroit Pistons win this thing every year because all the top teams are resting, then I think to your point, it's not going to be particularly exciting no matter what your perspective on the postseason is. But the players again and the teams and all that stuff, those are the ones that even the fans, right? Those are the ones that say hanging a banner is important. Having a ring ceremony is important. Why is it important? Does it give you bragging rights, right? Does it an ego thing? We were the ones who finished at the top of the hill and no one can take that away. To me, this is a lesser version of that. So you're probably never going to be able to create the same uh, environment as a seven game playoff series with with a bracket like that. But The last part to me is the single elimination, Cody, adds a layer of excitement, adds a little bit of a March Madness flair that we don't normally get in the NBA. We we brought this in with the play-in game. A lot of people hated the idea of the play-in game, and I think it's been extremely successful in large part because of that single game variance where you can get lucky, a fluky thing could happen, so on and so forth. What, What do you think about that? So here's a couple of things. Number one, It's only single elimination for this one tournament because, like, the single elimination of, say, March Madness or, like, the single elimination, quote-unquote, of a Game 7 is, like, that's it. That's the end for the rest of the season. But, like, if you lose in the single elimination, like, in the middle of the season, it's like, great, we'll be right back to it in a week or so, right? So that's one thing. The other thing is we already, in the middle of the season, have a game where literally the best players from both conferences come together and are supposed to play what could be imbued as a really highly intense uh, competitive game, which is the All-Star game, and that has not been given any kind of significance whatsoever. Like, we could be treating that, players could be treating that as this high-stakes, hey, All of us, we're literally the best players in the league right now. We're going to go at each other and we're going to get some bragging rights, but they haven't. And that's not a judgment to them. Like, great, whatever. Let's make All-Star Weekend a a just like hangout vacation vibes fest. I'm okay with that. But it just kind of seems like that we've decided that anything that's before the playoffs is going to be like that. So I'm just afraid that the tournament's going to more or less go that direction as well. But they used to play the All-Star game. They used to they used to play hard in the All Star game, and it's just diminished over the years. Isn't that you know part of the story here? It's whatever you want to give meaning to. Fifty years ago, players played hard in the All Star game. Thirty years ago, they played kind of hard because maybe basketball is more intense, and you're flying around the country, and you make twenty five million dollars a year, and your body you know is worth more. So maybe you don't want to get injured to the point where the the game is. 
for me to call it to call the last all-star game unwatchable is a disservice to the words <laughs> unwatchable um i think i would I, i've literally seen better games in the park from kids who don't even know the rules entirely so isn't it about what meaning the players bring to the competition that gives it the life so, like, we have a history of the All-Star game being competitive then. Why don't we try and change that first? Like, before we add in something else, before anything the else, like, why don't game? we just... Yeah! Okay. Dude, okay. that would be the best! It's like, you can finally just, like, creatively make a 2K team and be like, let's see how Steph Curry and but, LeBron but you, would be on the same but team. But you, you can't. You can't because, one, they won't be playing a normal league... And two, you have no time for practice. You have no time to actually make it a team. The, di the difference here is it's not a gimmick in the sense that you're not coming together for two weeks. or do These are teams that have played together for the whole year or multiple years that will have an opportunity at the beginning of the season to at the least set some tempo and, and sort of give themselves, uh, uh, what's the word, a challenge. That's the big fancy word I was looking for there. Uh, it's going to be a long show. Uh, it, just seems, it just seems like it still comes down to as long as the players take it seriously to some degree, then you're going to get something that's somewhere in excitement between uh, a December regular season game and an April playoff game. Well, here's the other thing. Like, you mentioned it before. I'm going to be watching basketball in November, December. I don't care when. Call me up. I I might not have the Hornets on. That's a bold-faced lie. I'll what, have it, I'll have a couple of teams what? on. And I'll, I'll have the Orlando Magic up. No Lamelo. Sure, whatever. Like Lamelo's cool and all, as long as he's not like in Chuck Fest mode. I like a good passing Lamelo game once in a while. I'm just saying that like I'm going to be watching the regular season, and I don't know if I'm specifically going to get super excited for it. I'm not sure if the players are going to get super excited for it. So then I'm like, who is this for? And I think that's my question is, who is this in-season uh, tournament It's for, for you. It's for you. Let's... Uh, let's no, 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 no. Let's not do anything here, because I have one more. The true reason I'm unhappy about it, Ben, is I have a cynical take about it. So if you'll let me dip into some cynicism first and warm us up for the main event for today. Um, my thing is, like, the NBA knows what we can do to make the season better. We know what we can do to make players care about it more, to get people to get more eyes on specific games, and that's to reduce the amount of regular season games, right? I've heard 66 games, 62 games. People have added out 72 games i'm not here to put out an answer for that we know that's the answer this feels like the equivalent of like like your employer is like hey everyone what can we do to make this job better and everyone's like hey we need to have like higher wages we need to have whatever else And they're like great pizza party like this feels like the pizza party in response to the actual thing that i think would melt make the regular season be more significant for both players and uh viewers that's my overall take about it when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We have a live poll on Twitter. Thanks to those. Uh, it's for those of you who voted in this to help us out. Uh, of course, when you listen to the show, you'll hear your votes in a little bit. <laughs> As of now, we have who is more likely to be grumpy about something new like the in-season tournament? Is it Ben or is it Cody? Um, let me do some some quick math here. Forty-eight percent of the people have said Cody. Thirty-four percent have said Ben. Wow. So, and then the rest of the people just wanted to see the results. So, yeah. What I'm is? To be that? honest with you, Ben, yeah. I'm I'm a little shocked by that. I kind of thought that you would come off as the grumpier one. I kind of thought that I have like a naive sort of energy that I bring to the show where people are like, what is this guy doing once in a while? That I'm a little surprised by that. I think I need to change my attitude, Ben. It's uh, it's all the heavy metal you listen to. I think that's what that's what's coming through. Yeah, that's not a judgment on heavy metal. I don't, I don't know. It's just... Uh, uh, okay, so here's... Part of the reason I'm excited for this tournament, Cody, is I like... I like having a seven-game series tournament at the end of the year. I, I, I would do some five-game series. I love the first-round five-game series is majestic. I think we should bring it back. But this is going to be a tournament with NBA players, which is single elimination, which introduces a lot of variance. Or can, can I can I say luck? Mm-hmm. Can I say luck? Is that is that allowed? Because. You it begs the question, or it raises the question. You know, is there luck, and how much luck is is there in basketball? What do we mean by luck? Are we really talking about variance? We've tiptoed around this topic for the entire playoffs, and even after the playoffs ended. And I think after hearing the announcement of this tournament, I, we, ha- we I think we have to talk about this. I think we have to go deep and figure out what's going on when we say there's luck in a small sample, or a team was lucky. Let's start there. Can a team be lucky to win a series? If you score more points in basketball than your opponent in a seven-game series, can we call it lucky or not? This is this is excellent, Ben, because we heard... I, I don't know why I said we as if like I'm listening in on the things that you hear as well. I heard, I read, I saw lots of conversations about the, the big L word during the playoffs, especially uh, when we were talking about the Miami Heat run. And I know you have some magical numbers that we're going to be talking about here. I'm not throwing shade at the Heat. I'm just saying that these are the sorts of things that I saw as it was thrown around uh, in reference to their, their run to the finals. And uh, I think before we get to any of that first, though, Ben, can we define what luck is? Like when you say luck, what do you actually mean? Okay, I I mean variance personally. Okay, yeah. What do you, what do you th- mean by that? Well, I think that's what we're really talking about. I think we're really talking about variability, the natural perturbations in <laughs> it. And I'll, I'll be I'll be really specific here because I mentioned this in Thinking Basketball, the book for anyone who's read the book and remembers this. We're talking about athletic movements, Cody. And specifically, we're talking about ballistic movements that involve motor control. We're saying we have to use our our hands, right? We have to we have to use our ape hands that we're given with our opposable thumbs, find a way to get the ball into the basket, but it's really far away. So we have to use our muscles and kind of explode the ball up toward the basket. And it turns out, um, as we would expect, the farther you are from the target, the harder it is to hit. So there's probably not much variance on layups, 
You know, like if you had to take a thousand layups, I think a lot of the best people at layups in the world would make almost a thousand layups, 999 or 990 or whatever the number would be. But you go to the free throw line, it's only 15 feet away. No one's guarding you. And basically the best humans on the planet cannot seem to crack like 92 or 93 percent, which means that if you're, let's say, an 80 percent free throw shooter, which is still a good free throw shooter, it's still above average league wide, even as players have improved as shooters over the years. And even as we have more skilled shooters in the league than ever before, as an aside, that's one of the reasons why free throw rate, free throw percentage is actually uh, increasing league wide is because we don't have as many big men who, who can't shoot free throws anymore. So let's say you make 80% of your free throws. That does not mean every 10 free throws you take, you will make eight. You might make nine. Sometimes you'll make 10. Sometimes you'll make seven, six. Sometimes you might even make five or four. And my question is, since we expect that, how can variance, and that's what we mean, we mean this sort of uh, range of distribution around the expected outcome, uh, how can that not be part of the game of basketball? Well, I think it it has to be, right? Like, variance is, like you said, you brought up the layup example. I think variance, luck, whatever you want to call it, is involved with kind of everything that you do. Like, if you start at the top, like walking down the street, you're going to screw that up once in a while, right? Like, you're going to trip. You're yes. Gonna, but I'm, this I, is the making layups thing. Right, right? But, right. But I'm glad you brought that up because, like, there's variance in chess, but it's extraordinarily small variance compared to what we're talking about. You know, you, you you catch the best chess player in the world on a bad day. He had a bad night's sleep or something like that. I can't beat him. But the 20th best chess player in the world could beat him. Variance with athletic events in general, like the layups thing. Let's take Usain Bolt as a sprinter. There's some variability. He, Usain can't always run 958 in the 100 meter dash. He can't always run 958. But that is not a ballistic uh, sort of fine motor control. He's not trying to guide a little thing into the basket. He's just running. So I think to your point, we don't see Usain running 11-5 and 10-5 and 10-7 and then 9-4 and then 9-6. And then oh, one time he fell on his face, right? Whereas in basketball, you'll see the best shooters ever airball because that's the degree of precision and sort of the error that we're talking about. So I actually think that's a really good point is to make a distinction between just because something has variability, uh, we're talking about a thing that relative to the way we think of the outcome has much larger variability that 4, 6, 8, 12, we'll talk about the points today, whatever it means, 15 points in a game radically changes the outcome of a basketball game. And, you know, before we go on, too, because you, you kind of poo-pooed the term luck here, and you're like, we should talk about variance. Uh, I kind of want to put the whole luck thing to bed, because when I think about luck, you know, I, I'm a cribbage player, Ben. Like, I, I like to whip out some cards. Wow. You know, I'm not for money or anything like that. I just like to sit on the deck with my father, play a couple games of cribbage, see what's going Is on. Is that the one where you make, like, a cat's cradle? Is that that one? A cat's cradle. Yeah. Is that, like, the thing you do with the string? I don't know. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> That's also a very good book by, uh, what's his name? This is terrible. I should remember. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut. Cat's Cradle. Anyway, uh, you know, it's a card game, right? And you can be good at it, right? Like, you can know sort of what your opponent's going to do. You can count out your cards and things like that. But at the end of the day, if you're not getting good cards, you're not going to win. Period. Like, it's just 
That's just how it is. You could be the worst player in the world and you could beat the best player in the world. That is complete luck, right? Whereas like where people say you make your own luck, I think it almost should be you make your own variance because I think when you're actually skilled at something that could ha- that requires some level of skill, you put yourself in a position where that's going to happen well, right? So like if you shoot 80% from the free throw line, but then you go on a streak where you hit like 100 in a row, over the course of like eight games or something like that, that makes a lot more sense than somebody who shoots 40% from the free throw line. Like Ben Wallace isn't going to walk up there and hit 100 straight over the course of eight games, right? And so I don't necessarily know what to do with that. There's kind of this weird space where it's like, there's a smaller band of where variance affects you or maybe even where like luck affects you just because of how good you are. So that's sort of what I don't know what to do with this conversation is it seems like variance might affect certain people differently than other individuals in a particular endeavor. Well, the card thing or dice luck or things like that, don't you think people view those differently because it's out of their control? Whereas the basketball player shooting shooting the basketball that's very much in his control. So I've heard people say from the perspective of the opponent, from the perspective of the defense, it's lucky whether this guy makes 10 open threes in a game or zero open threes in a game. But from the perspective of the person shooting, they would never think about their own controllable skill, right? We're talking about shooting, their controllable skill as something that is quote unquote lucky. That's where I I go back to the concept of variance and the word variance. Do you feel that there's a distinction there that needs to be made where like the dice or the, uh, the cards, the dealer dealing you the cards in a card game is truly something that you don't control and adds an element of randomness. Whereas when, when you're the one playing the sport, um, no matter what your free throw percentage is, even Shaq, like a 50% free throw shooter basically for his career. If you hear him talk about the way, I always make them at the end of the game, right? He's just, I have control (laughs) over it. I got it. Don't worry. I'm still going to make them at the end of the game. It does feel like, like, don't you think that there is maybe some kind of psychological level of an athlete, of somebody that's competing in something that allows them to be better in certain situations? I'm not saying that Shaq is right. Right. But I mean, like when the pressure's on, when you're wide open and like the sounds of the crowd really freak you out and you're really getting in your head. Isn't there like a skill that's maybe unmeasurable, immeasurable, I should say, that goes into that sort of thing? And I think that's part of this mathematical equation that I don't know how to figure out is like, I do think that there's probably some kind of psychological concept. And I don't know how to factor that in. What what do you think about that? I, I, I love that idea. I would say if it's actually a signal that's detectable, we should pick it up and we should say in the regular season, you're going to get 39% three-point shooting from Reggie Miller and in the playoffs, you're going to get 41%, right? I think if that's happening, we should be able to talk about it. But the, the challenge is, if it's undetectable, if it happens in such small samples, it's like the old clutch conversation. End of the 2000s, we started to get more data. We got play-by-play data. And there were all, you know, True Hoop, Henry Abbott, there were all these articles uh, about clutch and how important it was and what happened in the last five minutes of the game. And it sort of sparked this idea of like, well, the first 43 minutes, and, and I'm not talking about whether they matter more or not. I'm talking about the first 43 minutes, players play at level A. And we're generally observing level A when we look at stats. But Cody, what's really important for winning is level B. 
And that's the last five minutes of the game. And that's when that's what separates the wheat from the chaff. And it turns out when you like look at large samples of data, I think with the exception of just the players who are flat out the best players, period, the LeBron Jameses of the world and Dirk Nowitzki's and things like that, you actually won't see massive, you know, consistent like, oh, look, in year one or, or uh, the year 2015 or something, this player's averaging 50 points a game, 50 points per 75 possessions in the clutch, and he's got 80% true shooting. You won't see that the next year. So I think the signals, um, I think when they're there, if they're really, really small, then they don't matter too much. Uh, does that make sense? That does make sense. Okay. Yeah. So that, that segues me to another thought, which I think is related to this conversation, which is we're kind of always doing a Bayesian weighting in our head when we talk about skill. Like what is, what is, where is the line between skill and luck? What does it mean? So if we look at Caleb Martin's three-point shooting, what's the best way to figure out how good Caleb Martin is as a three-point shooter? Is it to look at all the three-point shots he's taken in games and in practice since he was 12 years old? Probably not, right? Because that sample does not account for the fact that he's improved and become an NBA player. It might have things in the sample we don't care about, like high school games or whatnot, practice, whatever. So do we look at his NBA three-point shooting? Okay, then it gets more interesting. Are there any changes in his NBA three-point shooting? Do we have any reason to believe that he improved as an NBA three-point shooter? Uh, practically, this is why on our on our board for Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball, we have three-year shooting data. Because some players, four or five-year shooting data may be great. You may want that bigger sample. But especially young players, we often have a reason to believe they improve as shooters. So if you're talking about luck and you're playing against Caleb Martin in last year's playoffs, there's like a Bayesian thing where you're like waiting his prior data that you think is relevant, in this case, probably the last couple years of him shooting in the NBA. Oh, he's taken a couple hundred open shots and he's made them at 38% or whatever. I don't know the number off the top of my head. Just apologies, Caleb, if it's higher, um, right? But you, you, this is how you think about it. You think, okay, that's his skill. Are you with me? Don't you, don't you think of, that's what we think of his skill. If I need Caleb Martin to make an open three for me in an NBA game, what is my best ability to predict how often he will hit that shot. That's his skill, right? Yeah. The question then becomes with the, with the Bayesian part and the updating and things, what if he makes 10 in a row? What if he makes 20 in a row? What if he goes 60 of 100? At what point does he hit the right number of shots for us to not just move, you know, slide what we think of him as a shooter up because he's going to drag his overall percentage up, but at what point do we go, huh, the last hundred shots or the last thousand shots, that's actually how good he is. Or to your point, how we got here in the playoffs, when the marbles are on the table, is that the expression? When the cards are on the table, when the marbles are on the line, wow, man, we need, we need like a third person on the podcast just to help me with idioms. Um, anyway, you know what I'm saying? Like when, when it all yeah. matters, is he actually... 40% on that open shot instead of 38%. And I would argue that's maybe that's small enough that it's not a material difference. But what if he's really 45%, which is where I think things get interesting. 
So I think this is this connects back to a conversation we had about Stephen Curry last season, right? Where he had a slump in his three-point shooting. I think in the middle of the season, we brought up the point that teams really aren't defending him any differently, right? So even though his percentages were actually lower than I think any other season he'd had before uh, over the course of how many games that was, they were still like, we're going to treat this like this is Steph Curry. We don't actually believe he's a... I don't know what it was at that point, a 38% three-point shooter as opposed to a 43% three-point shooter. So I think that's this sort of thing in practice. But I do think like if you were to practically talk to an NBA player, and I, I know you've played before. Again, I, I haven't played at any kind of a high level, but like the hot hand, sometimes you feel like it's really going in. And I feel like if you ask the player, they might be like, oh, you really don't want to get this guy going because once he sees it going, you hear you hear commentators say this say this too. Oh, once this player gets uh, sees the ball go in the hoop, they're going to be good to go, right? And that kind of gets them going. So maybe a player that's hit a few in a row, you're like, oh, we maybe have to adjust in this specific game, not on a longer term trajectory, but we have to treat this specific game as sort of a completely different sample size. I do know. I thought there was a study from like maybe the 80s or 90s that tried to refute the hot hand. I thought I saw studies after that that also refuted that study so i'm actually not sure where we are scientifically i don't know why i put air quotes around scientifically i am very pro science everybody i don't know where we are scientifically with the hot hand conversation yeah i think the latest uh well you're right there's been there's the original idea that it doesn't exist and then there's some uh studies that suggest it does exist in some capacity and that last part makes sense to me I don't know. To me, doesn't that suggest what we're talking about here? Doesn't that suggest that if you're on the other side of the floor and someone gets in a zone that night, but it's just random, they can't call it. They can't call on it on demand. It's actually not part of their consistent skill. It's part of the distribution of their skill. Does that make sense? I want to say it again because because we're on radio. It's not something that every night they go eight for ten from the free throw line. It's that sometimes part of their 80% free throw shooting is they're just going to be on one and it's going to be 10 out of 10 when they're on the court. And he, the, the player knows it. The player can be like, man, I feel good tonight. I had the right dinner. I had the pregame warm up. Um, and I think it's a very psychological, cognitive, sort of athletic, in the moment, zen, whatever you want to think of it as, right? Like you're just locked in. You're laser focused. And I do to, to our point earlier about our friend Reggie Miller, if you could call on that on demand, then we would say that's part of your skill and we wouldn't expect you to deviate too much from that performance. But the very thing we call luck is that your skill actually doesn't consistently give you 100% free throw shooting or 60% three-point shooting or whatever. And so... In the games you shoot 60%, that's bad luck for the other team that they ran into you on that night. And in the games you shoot 20%, that's good luck for the other team that they ran into you on that night. That would be the idea. And and again, just as a reminder, uh, I would call that variance, but it's all part of the same conversation. There's an article I want to cite in just a second, but first I just, I had an idea. It's a callback to something I called for, I don't even know how many episodes ago. I almost think that having a single number put out there for a player's percentage whenever they shoot from somewhere kind of obfuscates like what the variant what the built-in variance is with that shot like if somebody is an 80 percent free throw shooter right and then we have like a bunch of games where they're shooting 87 percent and then you have a couple games where they're shooting like 65 percent like oh really really high variance they're very unlucky what if what if you were able to instead of like 
instead of uh, showing the number in just a single number, we had a band, right? So it's like, okay, so like 66% of the time, two-thirds of the time, the free throw percentage lands within 67 and, I don't know, 88. I don't know if that's a, a possible range. But I think that might actually kind of correct this sort of conversation because if a player is like all over the place, they shoot like, I don't know, 82%, 67%, 73%, they'd be like, oh, that all falls within this specific player's band of what we would expect from their shooting. I feel like the more numbers for a given shooting percentage would actually sort of... Uh, clarify what we're talking about here instead of just trying to stick to being like this player is an 80% free throw shooter. Hmm. You think that would fix it? I don't, I guess I don't know what I'm fixing right now, but I think it might clarify the situation a little bit to be like, oh, it makes sense that this player is actually in here because you might, and I don't know this, I haven't run the numbers here, but uh, I don't know like how big certain players' bands are compared to others. Like maybe someone like Steph Curry's band is like two thirds the time he's at shooting like 85 to 95 or somebody, right. Tim Duncan is shooting like 85 to 40. Okay, okay. I'm glad you landed on Curry, a three-point shooter and Duncan a post player because I, I, I want to, point out a change in basketball that's created this conversation in 2023. But I think to your last point about the band, um, I think what you're really saying is if we had a way to clearly communicate that some players are high variance players and some players are more consistent, then when the high variance players went all over the place, we wouldn't be surprised by it. But we would still be stuck with luck when the low variance players went all over the place, the, the rare times that they do, or when the high variance players go outside their band. So, you know, J.R. Smith goes 0 for 10 and then he goes 6 for 10, but then you're playing in a game and he goes 10 for 10. Uh, and those four extra threes still are not what you would necessarily expect. When I was thinking about this, I landed on this post player three point thing that you just mentioned because I think at the heart of it, what we're talking about with luck, quote unquote luck, is the other side of the shot quality coin, right? When we look at a basketball game and we talk about shot quality, we look at how open are your shots, who's taking them, and where are they from? What kind of shot is being taken by what player? Uh, if Kendrick Perkins takes a fadeaway from 17 feet when he's covered at the elbow, we say, oh, that's a poor shot because we have reason to believe, based on his skill, that that's going in 10% of the time or whatever it is. When Kevin Durant takes the same shot, we have reason to believe it's going in 60% of the time or whatever it is. So we say, okay, that's a good shot. So we're always trying to figure out the shot quality a team is getting based on their own skill. I think what we call luck is when the outcome deviates a lot from that shot quality. And so that's where I get stuck being like, how can we not talk about variance in basketball? Because isn't the ability to generate that advantage based on a team's shot quality? The 1996 Chicago Bulls consistently generated an advantage by saying, I, I welcome you to stop Michael Jordan catching it in the post at 14 feet. I welcome you to try to slide in front of Scottie Pippen, and so on and so forth. And I have another point about the difference between that era and the three-point shooting today, but I want to let you re react to what I just said. Yeah, and I think using the the sort of band philosophy that I just talked about, I think that would be a lot more clarified too, and it would feel a lot more okay 
to say that a player's performance was lucky, say like let's say there was a seven game performance, their free throw percent or three point let's use three point percentage. Their three point percentage band is like thirty three to thirty nine, and across the seven games they shoot like they never dip below forty seven percent from three in a single game. You could look at that and be like, wow, based on what we know from all of these prior things, the single number wouldn't tell us this as much, but this band shows us that you know maybe this player was shooting. I think we would say like out of his mind or or having a, a spiritual moment or something like that. And I think then saying luck would feel a little bit more okay. So there's this outside shooting thing that you just alluded to with the three-point shooting. And I think that's changed this conversation fundamentally if we were to try to have it 20 or certainly 40 years ago. Because go back to the 96 Bulls. Uh, Maybe the best team I've ever seen, certainly one of the great teams of all time. And the way they generated their advantage, again, you get it to Michael Jordan at 14 feet. He's going to turn and make a fadeaway with a hand in his face X percentage of the time. So he's not necessarily open. He's just using his athletic skill to set up a shot that's closer to the basket. A lot of the game in the old days was, how can I use my athletic skill? Kareem Skyhook, I'm taller than you. Bernard King's turnaround jumper from 12 feet. I'm jumping over you. Uh, Michael Jordan, my first step, I'm getting to the basket and then I'm at the basket. So I have to worry less about shooting this little sphere 30 feet through space. And I'm just going to figure out how to contort in the air with my athletic skill. Those movements, much like Usain Bolt running, have less variability to them. And the shots are closer. The Celtics, Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale, get inside, pound you, high, low game. It's all closer to the hoop. Were there role players that took open shots from 17 feet, you know, during the course of those games? Sure, but one that's closer. So I think there's less variability on those shots. And two, part of today's game, Cody, is that you use the space, you use the shooting, you spread out, and good players create open or wide open shots for their teammates. So you have, by nature, advantages being created on the pass, right? You're not necessarily going to the post and trying to dunk it like Shaq or hook it like Kareem. You're trying to drive and then defenses are too smart to give up the layup. So they collapse. And the end of those possessions is some some kind of three for a teammate, spot up open three on the perimeter. And it turns out in playoff games, you may have 20, 30, 35 open threes, right? In the course of a typical playoff game, I think that is fundamentally different, both in terms of the accuracy and variability of that shot and the nature of saying, we're going to try to generate these open shots for all five guys on the court. And that leads to, I do believe it leads to an era today uh, where you're basically saying it's a more make or miss league because of the, the swinginess of all these open three-point shots that we're setting up for other players on the team. So based on everything you just said, right, there's more variability and probably more luck baked into today's game than any other period of time for the NBA. That's, that's where my head is. Uh, I'm certainly interested to, to hear reactions from the audience and, and you, but that's where my head has gone in sort of thinking about this. And of course, we have a luck adjustment, right, 
that we use at the beginning of the season. We still have it at the end of the season, but it almost doesn't matter anymore, um, which makes the point because it evens out in the long run. We have a luck adjustment at the beginning of the season where we look at three-point shooting because it's this easy-to-grab salient factor that it's like, oh, teams have 30, 35 open threes, and it turns out that they're not going to defend the three-point line at 30% for the entire year. They're just running good defensively in terms of other teams missing. And the analog to that is in the playoffs, and we're going to get to some juicy numbers in a second. Why do we do this? Why do we always save the juicy numbers until the very end of the show? We should probably have started the show with the juicy numbers. But you get to the playoffs, and if you look at, you know, the way a team shot all season and how their players shot from three all season, and then you get into the playoffs and they shoot radically differently, you don't, ne- this is the key, Cody, you don't necessarily expect that to continue because their skill as outside shooters does not say they should be making 45% of their open threes. It suggests it's closer to 35%, and that difference is what we call luck or variance. And is that, to your point at the beginning, does that capture everything in basketball that's you know has variability? Or no, it doesn't. But it is a huge, huge story. Uh, I think in this make or miss environment with all the three point shooting we have in today's game. Okay, coming up with this on the spot, Ben. So this we're, we're this getting, is we're dangerous. getting places. We're let's, going a little bit weird here, as Arnold right, would so say. It, let's get serious. Uh, <laughs> It's it's the off season, right? So I've been uh, I've been making my way through some of the '90s Western Conference games, right? So I'm, I'm watching a lot of you know, Carl Malone, Olajuwon, Kemp, Payton, post up type things, like people just getting down to the post and things like that. Um, a lot of those offenses, like you said, they try and get as close as possible and shoot, but a lot of those possessions end up with just like one of the star players, instead of kicking out and trying to get a catch and shoot threes, it ends with some kind of contested turnaround, which is a tough shot, right? They're not made at high percentages. We don't necessarily have data going back that far, except for in in specific situations. So I guess like in terms of the three-point shot, by nature of it being worth three point be, being worth three points i guess that naturally makes the baked in luck part of it make this time for the league to be more i don't know to be more influenced by luck because here's my question to you ben do you think that every jump shot like a three-point shot a mid-range jump shot a contested turnaround are they all affected the same way by this metaphysical concept that we're calling luck or is there actually more luck in an open three-point shot versus a Carl Malone turnaround mid-range jumper? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, I don't have the data on the, on the variability. What I can say philosophically is every open and wide open three that we have tracked from second spectrum is not exactly the same. We know that. It, it, it can make a difference what happened in the last 23 seconds of the possession. Uh, were you running? Are you tired? Are you off balance? And maybe more importantly, you know, is Jaron Jackson the guy coming out? Uh, is Anthony Davis running you off the line versus you or me? So we know there are subtle little things that aren't captured. But I think in general, the idea of an open three is something that the player, the shooter controls Without much defensive interference, I think that's the spirit of the idea, and I think that holds true on most of these shots. Whereas your point about Carl Malone in the post or something like that, 
that variability is probably going to be more baked in by the defensive quality of the contest. And, um, you know, whether Hakeem Olajuwon is the guy bothering him or whether he has a mismatch against, uh, I, I don't know, who would be a mismatch? Tom Tolbert? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> trying to think of broadcasters who could maybe maybe take an, a little a little jab. I don't know who a good it's mismatch Mike would. Maloney? <laughs> Matt Matt Maloney? Matt, did Matt, I say Mike? Yeah. Matt, Matt I apologize, yeah. Maloney. A lot, lot of names is being yeah. wrong. Matt Maloney, wrong. exactly. You see what I'm saying? I think, I think there is more defensive control in the outcome of that shot than the open three, which is why we view it as a signal of variance. Because if you have that defensive control, we expect you to consistently from game to game be able to disrupt someone. To stick with Carl Malone, he had a number of series where he really bothered David Robinson. And you don't need to look at the shots necessarily to see that he bothered him. He he got up in his space. His feet were really quick. So Robinson usually had a quickness advantage driving and facing. He took that away. Robinson didn't have a great back to the basket game. So much like Biggs today, he couldn't use his size near the rim. Uh, and he had really quick hands. So he could strip him with that classic Carl Malone strip. So you add all that up and you go, huh, on the 25 possessions we threw it into Robinson, his efficiency was way below what it is against other players. Would we expect that to continue? And I would argue the answer is some degree, yes, we do expect that to continue because the defense has a big part in the dance. But the open three-point shooting, it changes from game to game, from series to series. I'm going to read you some numbers and I think that might blow your mind. Um, you let me know when you're ready for the numbers and, and we'll we'll do it. But I... I I just don't see the defensive control in looking at the three-point shooting, and I think that's why it's a really fascinating thing to try to understand and account for this variance in these wide-open shots. Hit me with some numbers. I'm ready for this. Are you ready for this? Dude, let's do it. Um, okay, so we have a luck adjustment that we use, and the essence of it, uh, we're going to talk about the playoffs and playoff series and what all this means, but the essence of it is we look at how a team shoots throughout the year, and then that's their baseline. And then we see how they shoot in, in a playoff series. And we use open and wide open threes, which means according to Second Spectrum and NBA.com, there is quote unquote four feet of space, at least four feet of space between the shooter and a defender. Um, it turns out, Cody, if you we've got a decade of, of tracking data on this. If you look at the playoff series, where a team wins the quote-unquote luck battle, meaning uh, you, like, on one side, you have how you shoot compared to yourself in the regular season, and on the other side, you have your opponent and how they shoot compared to themselves. When you win that battle and you have a positive number per game, you win 66% of playoff series regardless of what your seed is, regardless of what your record is, um, so on and so forth. If you win that battle by four to six points per game, let me say that again. These are big numbers. This is what I'm trying to emphasize. These are big numbers. If you win that battle by four to six points a game, meaning on those open threes and your opponent's open threes, you end up with four more points four more net points on the scoreboard than what we'd expect. You win, uh, so far that's happened in 25 series in the last decade, 68% of the time that that team wins. Uh, if you look at teams that win that battle by 
at least six points. So we who said, who wins the battle? What about four to six points? Let's say six points. 84% of the time, you win the playoff series. Again, doesn't matter what your seed is, what your record is. It does not matter who plays for you. If you win that, uh, it's happened 31 times by at least six points, and teams have won 84% of the time. And Cody, if you win that battle by seven and a half points, you win the series, at least in the data we have, 94% of the time. The only team that was able to fade a seven and a half point luck differential per game fittingly was the 2021 Milwaukee Bucks who won the world championship and they faded it against the Miami Heat who what they won 40 40 something games that year that is the only time a team has ever really been crushed in the luck battle and won a series every other team has won a series when that happens it's incredible poetry in motion. Shout out to the one Reddit user that like got back to society and found out that the Bucks won a championship. But that's okay. So basically what you're saying is when you say like six points, that's basically like one three-pointer made for a team and then one three-pointer missed for exactly. the other team. Yep. Like that's that's all you're talking per about. Per game. Right? Yep. Per game. Yep. Okay. No, that's it. That's the point. When 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 you say it like that, you realize how easy it is, how simple it is. But at the same time, three po- six points is a lot of points in a basketball mm-hmm. game. Like six points per game is the difference between an eight seed and like a second seed during the course of a season. So in the course of a playoff series, to consistently run hot, to have the totality of your games be like, hey we're making a ton of our threes that we normally don't make and you're missing a ton of the threes that you you normally hit that adds up and has a huge impact on who wins the series regardless of talent regardless of seed once that discrepancy reaches a certain point and i, I want to make a reminder cuz i myself forget this sometimes we're not talking about just made shots here cody We're not just saying one team makes an extra three and one team misses an extra three. It's not circular. We're not like, ah, whoever scores more points wins. This is relative to your own shooting, right? So it doesn't care if you're a 40% three-point shooting team or a 33% three-point shooting team. All it's saying is, do you shoot better or worse? And does your opponent shoot better or worse than what you would expect? And if your next question is, what is the relationship between giving up more open threes and making more open threes. Like, isn't, isn't it, could it just be bad defense where someone's having that success upstream in the possession that we alluded to earlier? They're breaking down the Jimmy Butler's going nuts. He's breaking down the defense and he's setting up the Miami, uh, the South beach law firm, the Miami thrice guys are splashing in threes because they have all these open threes. The answer is there is absolutely zero correlation between the number of open threes you have in a series and how well you shoot relative to your expected three-point shooting. Zero, none in the uh, 200 playoff series. We have a decade of data. The, the literal coefficient is 0.01, meaning it does not matter if you, if you have a lot of open threes. It does not matter if you don't have a lot of open threes. This is, to me, truly representing the sort of variability and the swinginess, the streakiness of your ability to make these shots independent of whether you're getting a lot of open ones or not. So I'm going to say this back to you. 
the the correlation you were talking about, the 66% of the time or whatever else, that's based purely off the percentage and not at all off the volume of open threes. The correlate the the win percentage that we talked about, yeah. how often you win those series is based on the number of extra points oh, okay. that you net, so, okay. right? Yeah, That's yeah, what we yeah. said earlier. The one extra yeah. you make an extra 3, they miss an extra 3. It's based on the points. Yeah. This is just looking at the relationship between how well am I shooting these open threes compared to normal? And am I getting a lot of open threes? And if you get a lot of extra open threes, it doesn't make a difference. And if you don't get a lot of extra open threes, it doesn't make a difference either. It seems completely independent to how you actually make these shots in these series, in these small samples where you're swinging up and down. Now, this isn't for the play. I know what you just said is for the playoffs, but what I'm going to talk about here is not for the playoffs. Zach Cram of uh, The Ringer um, in 2021 wrote an article talking about sort of, is this now a make or miss league? And he looked at, he was looking at uh, the seasons between 20, the 2013 and the 2019 season. So we avoid the lockout and we avoid the bubble seasons. And he was cutting off each season halfway through, right? First 41 games, second 140 games, kind of treating them as two different seasons as a part of the single hole, right? And then he checked to see how much does opponent three-point percentage correlate from the first half of the season to the second half of the season. And then he did it for the actual teams shooting in the first half of the season, the second half of the season. The opposing three-point percentage the, the correlation coefficient was 0.12. Very small, because we're looking for one for perfect correlation, zero for like completely random. 0.12, basically it showed from the first half of the season to the second half of the season, really very little correlation to show that a team's defense could affect the opponent three-point percentage. On the other hand, the team shooting the three-pointers, it was a 042 so still not very close to the one, but significantly more in control than what they're able to do defensively. And so I guess based off what you said, what can a team do to, I, I don't even know, what can they do to influence this, this make or miss variance league that we're talking about? I'm not sure. I, I think it's part of, because the thing is you'd rather give up open threes than layups. That's what's happening. And so if that's your defensive strategy, open threes are still going to be part of the game to some degree, whether you take 10 open threes or 35. Obviously, as a defense, you want to give up fewer open threes. But, um, I mean, to, to go back to the 2023 playoffs where we talked about this a lot. Uh, well, Cody, let, let's say this as part of my answer. Who do you think has the luckiest series in the decade we have data for based on these adjustments we're talking about open and wide open threes compared to your regular season for yourself and your opponent who do you think has the luckiest series i think you should just answer it because i i i, I know the answer I know oh you already know the answer i, already told I, I know you. the answer to this one it is yeah. the 2023 miami heat in the eastern conference finals versus the celtics and this is the part that blows my mind because intuitively we talked about this intuitively it felt like this to me but i had no idea what number to put on it and if you again there's other shots in the game there's other plays in the game but if your brain is trying to figure out how are these guys not missing right what's going on how much is it worth 13.6 points per game the miami heat were plus 13.6 points per game 
in their seven-game series against the Boston Celtics. Four and a half of that was from the Celtics shooting much worse than we expect on their open shots. And the Heat themselves were plus nine uh, points per game because they shot 58% on their wide open threes, a 21% increase from their regular season performance. That's the top mark in any series that we have in the last decade. Uh, just a couple other in the uh, others in the top five here. The 2016 Cavs were plus 12.3 in overall luck using these three-point open shooting adjustments against the Hawks. The 2015 Cavs were plus 12.1 uh, in their series against the Hawks. Uh, apologies to Atlanta fans right now. That's just ridiculous. That's just way too much Kevin Love and J.R. Smith heaters that they had to take. And if you're wondering, like, well, man, the Hawks and the LeBron, the Cavs and LeBron James, is there is there, are there a lot of Cavs teams that outperform their shooting luck? Are there a lot of LeBron James teams that outperform their shooting luck? No, I can't find any pattern. If you look at the other series, some of them are negative, some of them are positive. But teams like the Heat in 2023 do go through stretches where they're on a heater or on a heater for a couple series uh, that materially impacts their performance. And in fact, if you look at those Cavs teams with LeBron, those are some of the best playoff offenses based on how we try to calculate the effectiveness of a playoff offense in NBA history. But if you account, now if you just do this little adjustment and you say, well, if they shot three-pointers like they normally did during the season... What happens to their offense? They lose like four to five points per 100 possessions on their offense. And they go from one of literally one of like the five best playoff offenses ever to like an 80th or 85th percentile playoff offense. So Hmm. there's a this is a huge part of the game uh, is what I'm trying to emphasize here in the situations where you have sort of this extreme edge of variability that we see sometimes in series. So to try and land this plane here, that's a big plane. It's a big plane. We're gonna we gotta bring it into the runway now. Yeah, I don't I don't even know if we have landing gear at this point. This is gonna be just a, a bumpy ride here. But it seems like in terms of of wide open three point attempts or any kind of skill for that matter in the NBA, there's probably at least from my perspective some kind of immeasurable part of somebody's game, somebody's psychology, some kind of baked in thing that we just don't know what to do. We're not really sure how much it, uh, it connects to it, but regardless, there is an element of luck in the game of shooting in the game of pretty much anything involving basketball that is still going to be part of the game. And it's, just going to be and there's no way to get rid of that yeah again well again i think luck makes some people uneasy i think the Mm -hmm. more technical way that we should or or at least have talked about it here the way that i at least think about it is it's just it's baked in variability because of the the skill sets in the game right um and that's that's what we're really talking about we're going back to what do we mean by skill what do we mean by controllable skill versus what do we mean by things that are less consistent. And if those consistencies are misaligned, see, maybe in the 90s, Cody, when the Bulls had an off night and, you know, like the Atlanta Hawks had a good night, maybe the Hawks could beat them like 20% of the time. But now you've got 30 open threes in a game and it won't happen a lot, but sometimes you'll have stretches of games. I mean, the heat, the heat this year across all four series we're plus eight points per game. 
in 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 this luck adjustment. It's it's just staggering. It's staggering. It's the the most in the last decade in a deep playoff run. Uh, 2019 Houston was plus nine uh, in a shorter shorter playoff run. But it's like as long as that's going to be there, and both teams have shooters that can make these shots, and in theory you get like, okay, one in X number of times, we're going to be on a heater and one in X number of times, the Celtics are going to be on a cooler and you line those up that extra, I, I don't how, know how else to describe it other than variance, because if we're trying to describe skill in basketball, then I can't turn around and say, well, if the teams played again, they would be able to create the same advantage with their hot shooting. Whereas the bulls in the nineties, are going to create an advantage because they're going to drive to the basket more. They're going to post you up more. They're going to play out of the mid post. They're going to cut. And all those speed, burst, strength, ball handling, size, rebounding advantages are more consistent from game to game. And you're right. And I started the podcast by saying that I want to put the luck thing to bed. But I almost feel like throughout this conversation that when you take the slices of sample sizes, right, where you have the natural variability, the variance in a in a series or something like that, if the high end of the variance, if it like overperforms of it, if it's an outlier beyond what we would expect, I don't know how else to describe that besides saying luck. As 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 offensive as that might be to real hoopers out there that are like, there's never such a thing as luck when I go on a heater. There is, there does seem to be this metaphysical aspect to it that I just don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, it's a it's a tricky thing. I'm I'm interested in the reactions and and sort of the thoughts. Uh, if you're listening out there to to this whole idea of variability and luck, and and we'll circle back to to finally land the plane, I'll just say that something we said earlier about updating your ideas of players. Like, I think there is a difference between Anthony Davis in the bubble hitting a ton of jumpers and then not being able to replicate that, and Jamal Murray in the bubble hitting a ton of jumpers and now coming back and doing it in this playoffs. And now you have to watch to move forward. If you have no other reason health wise to think things had changed, maybe that's more indicative of Murray's play. Or if he never hits it again, then you would say, okay, he was, he was in a zone. He was in a heater. He was feeling it. I have to, I have to toe the tension between variance and skill between quote unquote luck and skill, because that tension is always going to exist in basketball because basketball is a high variance, bouncy, you know, swingy sport by nature. Didn't I? I feel like I saw a study that of the four major sports in America, though, it actually has the least amount of, of variance. Am I, am I wrong in that? No, I, you're right. And that's we don't acknowledge the other sports, though. That's oh. the that's the important <laughs> thing. If you want to support this show, patreon.com slash thinking basketball is, is the best way to do it. We have our live Q&A coming up this weekend. We do that once a month in our Discord community. We have a ton of historical stats. I will try to get these luck adjustment stats up for Patreon subscribers as well at some point in the near future so you can play around with them and look at them. Patreon.com slash Thinking Basketball. Thanks as always for listening to this one all the way through. Hope you enjoy Barbie or uh, Mission Impossible, whatever whatever your film-going taste may be. And as always, of course, I hope you're having a great day. <laughs>